But at the end of the day, if he bought it from some random dude on the internet, how does he even know? Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Almost. My thing says it's live now. Oh, no. We are live. Welcome to From the Ground Up podcast. Almost. So a few things. My thing says it's live now. Oh, Oh, no. We are live. Oh, no. I already messed up. Oh, no. Oh, no. See, this is what happens when the girl isn't here. I know. I know. I forgot to mute the other thing. Anyway, welcome to From the Ground Up podcast. A few things to get out of the way. We do have available animals. We do have ball pythons for better or for worse and corn snakes. So if you want to check out some of the stuff we have available, portcitypythons.com or just send me a message if I haven't gotten it up yet because there's plenty of stuff like that or there's plenty of stuff that I may ask our guests today what the hell it is. And that's probably why I haven't put it up for sale yet, because I don't know what it is. So uh, today we have on Sarah Moore of Sarah's Snake Shop, also a brand new author of a book in which last time we had her on almost a year ago, this was like, I feel like you just kind of formulated the idea of what you were going to write about and everything, and it wasn't even like an actual thing and now it's a real book just a year later so give us a little overview of what it was like uh, writing your first book uh well i i wasn't even going to write this book um writing a book and publishing a book is something i've always wanted to do but i never thought that it would be corn snakes i have like four or five different books that i've started none of which are related to corn snakes in any way um but then one day um well, see, I'm, I'm the main admin, admin of a group on Facebook called Corn Snake Morph ID Help. Um, so if anybody has issues with their corn snake morph, please feel free to join. Um, and we do a, a monthly uh, like morph of the month thing. And people were asking me, you know, well, how did this morph come about? Well, who found this? And who figured out that, that these two morphs look exactly the same or actually different? And so I started doing this research for uh, just for the group. And then um, I thought, well, I'm going to get ahead of the group and um, I'm going to compile this information uh, just for future months. And then it just sort of became more of a reference for me because the group ultimately decided that they didn't really care about the history. So I was like, well, if you guys don't care, um, I'm just going to keep compiling the information for myself. And um, so I did. And I kept doing research and kept like, keeping all the links to everything. And then um, I slapped on a cover that my brother designed and uh, published it. That's it. That's the story. Um, I think it's, I mean, I worked really hard on it. I actually probably from start to finish spent about eight months on it, which if you know anything about writing a book, you know, that's not very long (laughs) from like starting to compile information to actually having a book published in like less than a year is uh is almost record-breaking i think um but yeah that's i mean that's why i originally wrote it i mean i started writing it for the group and then continued writing it for myself and 
then I uh, thought, well, somebody might want to buy this. So <laughs> that's that's where that's where it came in. And it's it's not super professionally bound. I know that it isn't because I bound it myself in my living room. So, you know, uh, I know that it seems a little like odd to most people because most people send it to a publisher and they only get 5% of the profit and then they're happy with that. But I'm happy. I mean, who cares? Because it has such valuable information that obviously, as someone who needs to reach out to people all the time to be on the podcast, it's not always easy getting in touch with people. So like, how do you go about getting in touch? And I mean, there's plenty of foreign people as well involved in corn snake morphs and stuff like that. Or I'm sure there's people who have been deceased or uh, people that you don't know where to get the information from. So how do you go about getting in touch with everyone? Can you hear me? Um, getting in touch with everyone. A lot of it was the corn snake, uh, cornsnakes.com forum. Uh, most of the information that's in this book is on there already. Like it was already there. All I had to do was search and copy and paste and put things in a book. Like that's, that's, you know, I want to say at least half of this book writing. Um, and there were a lot of people that I tried to get a hold of who wouldn't respond because I think maybe they didn't take me seriously. It's like, hey, I'm a 27-year-old writing a corn snake book, and you've been in it longer than I've been alive. And, hey, can I use this picture of yours? <laughs> so they're like, oh, okay, I guess whatever. Or like, it'll never happen. And then it did. And I think that kind of surprised people. But a lot of it was um, just bothering like my conversation with half the people in this book so i mean but and i mean like you said there are some people who were deceased so uh, um i went rummaging through old magazines and i went rummaging through old books and um pretty much just had to piece things together as i as i could you know uh, there's still strawberry in this book is like i couldn't find any information on where it came from i could i found out who proved it to be its own gene, but I couldn't find anything else on it. Like, really, I mean, it's been around for a long time, but nobody came out of the woodwork to say, I'm the one who discovered this gene. And so the book just states, well, it's been around a while, but I don't know. So um, it, was, it wasn't easy, but it was, it was fun. It was nice to make new connections. I finally started, um, I talked to Sean Nealon for the first time. And uh, he seems like a fun guy, and uh, he's actually going to be buying a lot of the books to sell in his shop. So um, you can purchase them from me directly, purchase them on eBay, and also purchase them from him once he actually gets them. Right now, I had to send, I had to have the printers print more, and they're all booked up for, you know, no pun intended. They're all booked up right now. They can't, they can't uh, print more of mine yet, but soon. Cool. So how many did you print originally? Uh, originally, I had 30 printed. And about 10 of those went to contributors for free um, or very deep. Uh, and so then I sold about 20 pretty quickly. And I had another, I think, 50 printed after that. And I've sold all but 20 of those. 
I guess that's like 30, which like, it's still not a whole lot, but I feel like it's a reasonable amount for what it is, you know? Yeah, honestly, I wouldn't even expect as far as like, obviously that sold out pretty quickly. And I mean, we are a subsect, obviously, of a small subsect. And then your book is detail oriented to the point where obviously you need to be semi-serious about it to get it. Mm -hmm. It's not like your pet owner's guide to keeping corn snakes or something. It is like the history of the corn snake hobby in through each morph, which is super interesting. And it's super insightful, especially for people who want to know where everything comes from. And how did you go about kind of, there's so many question marks still of kind of how things work, whether it be weird enhancing genes or uh, whether it's red coat, red factor, buff. Um, so how did you dispel things? And are there still like some things that you're in the air about? Um, there are definitely things that are still in the air. Um, I, I have a whole section in the book on unproven morphs. Um, in the very beginning, I make a, a, a distinction between morph and mutation. And the morph being any deviation from the norm, which is what a cultivar is. Uh, anybody who is sort of in biology, a cultivar is more of like a plant-based term. Most people don't use it for animals. But, um, you know, if you go out and you find, you know, daisies, which are normally yellow, but then you find one that's like white instead, like that's a cultivar. Like that's something that's a deviation from the normal, which is what any morph is, whether it be... Um, you know, like an Aztec or whether it be an Amel um, or, you know, so basically whether it's a selectively bred thing or whether it's an actual gene mutation, they're both cultivars, they're both morphs. So um, differentiating between mutation and morph was the very first thing I wanted to make clear. Um, And then I made this whole section on unproven morphs, like morphs that are not yet proven to be mutations, because we don't know. And surprisingly, I decided to put pied in there. I'm not sure if people were surprised by that or not, but um, I was looking up, I found as much information as I could on pied. And at the end of the day, no one really knows if pied is recessive or if it's selectively bred or both. Um, I think most people would say it's recessive, but when you breed two pieds together and you get a bunch of babies that aren't pied, then kind of makes you wonder what's going on. So that's one thing that I did to sort of separate um, what we do know from what we don't know. Um, We know that buff is a morph. We know that it's a mutation. Same with uh, coffee. Um, We don't know if they're the same or not. And we also don't know if they're the same as yellow jacket, which may or may not actually be a mutation. So it's it's, uh, separating all of it was basically like start with what you know, and write about that, and then at least try to figure out what you don't know. Even if you don't know what you don't know, figure out what you don't know, maybe, kind of. And then you write about that, and you say, we don't know, but we think X, Y, and Z. Um, And everything else is just sort of, I don't know. I mean, the second half of the book is basically an interview with Kathy about the history of keeping corn snakes. So that one was easy. That was actually on um, a different podcast, Corn on the Pod, which is no longer, uh, you know, happening, um, at least for now. Um, 
And I got permission from both Donovan, who Donovan Winterberg, who had the podcast, and Kathy Love to transcribe that, because I, th- I feel like that's a very key part of uh, of Corn Snake history. I mean, you're going to get different stories from different people a little bit. You know, things are going to be a little different, but Kathy's been in it since the beginning. You know, and she was probably the perfect one to give the history and. So I feel like, especially for like the history book of Corn Snakes, I felt like that was a really good in there. I don't know if I answered your question. <laughs> well, yeah, because the answer I think is always like we don't know or it's a work in progress. And yeah, there seems to be so many things that we thought were, you know, things that were line bred that ended up being as a result of a mutation of some sort. Mm-hmm. So I guess yeah, that's where yeah, like the red factor and the red coat came in because uh, everybody thought that they were selectively bred forms of strawberry morphs or hypomorphs, and all of a sudden one day somebody figured out that oh, there is no hypo in this. This is just red, and um, and I think that, I mean that was huge. I kind of remember when that happened almost. Like I remember things transitioning from this is a strawberry to, no, this is just a really red hypo. So let's figure out what makes the red. And yeah, I don't know. I don't know. In a way we still haven't, we still haven't disconnected any of those in a lot, a lot of ways. And there's still people calling things, Mm -hmm. things that are maybe confusing. I mean, should we call things as they are or should we lump together and still use things like coral and, or like even I have a hybrid yeah. reverse Okatee, which is I think it's just a reverse Okatee red factor, but I'm not. It, yeah, and there's a big debate going on um, as far as coral and red factor and salmon and all those are concerned, um, where it's, uh, you know, things, so let's say the term granite, which might be a bad example. We'll go with pewter since granite's already got a weird history. We'll go with pewter. Um, even if pewter didn't look like pewter, would we still call it pewter? That's sort of the the question. Um, and I would say no, because pewter was named so for the color and also granite pewter, you know, it kind of made sense. It was kind of funny. Um, but, you know, a call to the anery morphs plus diffuse, very similar names. Um, but it's a similar debate in the coral red factor thing where some people are saying, um, coral ghost is strawberry annery. That was the original name for this combination. That name should stay with the combination regardless of what color it is. And then there's the other side where people are saying, no, it's called a coral ghost because it's a pink ghost because coral is the color that shows through so the name coral should stick with the color and not the morph so that's kind of where the line is right now some people are on the you know um stick with the original morph name because that's the morph name and then some people are no change the morph name to match phenotype um so i think that's where you know I, i feel like probably the old school breeders are the ones who are more likely to continue to call things coral when they don't actually have any pink coloration. Um, and then the newer people to that hobby, I would say like myself are more apt to call things because that's what color it is. 
historically speaking, I mean, it's already mud. It's like it's muddled already um, because coral was originally named for the pink color, but it was not thought to have, I mean, red factor wasn't even a thing back then. So um, that's one reason that there's such a big debate. And one reason that I stress so much in my book that if you are buying or selling corals or salmons or anything uh, in any of those lines, whether it's snows or ghosts or whatever, make sure you know exactly what genetics are in that animal. I'm sorry, I live next to trains, so you're going to hear that. I didn't notice that the last episode. At least I don't remember. But before the interview, I heard like one go by. But Yeah, yeah, it's like every hour on the hour, so sorry. That's all right. Um, (laughs) So it is very, very confusing, especially because when I originally bought my collection, I'm buying from someone who names it, for the most part, the old school way. And I just always went like that. And then when I showed you like, hey, is this a coral ghost? Is this blah, blah, blah? Because I won this strawberry and ghost. And you were like, no, that's not really how that works. Then I was like, damn, yeah. well, I guess everything's a ghost, probable, whatever the hell. But um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I just think as long as we're all on the same page and as long as the buyer, which I mean, you see posts on Facebook groups every single day that the buyer usually don't know what that, you know, they were sold. I saw the other day, a California Okatee. Um, you know, you see silly things. Yeah. yeah, It's like a California red Okatee or something that this person posted up. And it was just, (laughs) I don't know. I don't know where those people, cause people, um, whether they misheard someone at a show, cause mostly people are buying corn snakes as pets. So I think it's important for us to at least do our due diligence to say, Uh, this is what things are and that's kind of why I like to spell it out as much as I can even though I may not even be I'm definitely not informed as you as far as what's what well and that's one reason that I really like that you when you made your your uh, buff emails we actually call them buff emails because orange it's like all emails orange you know and so it's it's nice to actually like have that clarification especially i mean i would know what you were talking about but you know who knows who's going to be buying from you they may not know the difference between the color orange and the morph orange which is part of the reason why i don't really like i don't mind like lavender and caramel because those are base mutations but i don't really like when combo mutations have like a color for a name because it's like you know it's so especially a color that a corn snake is all the time, you know, like, like most of every sun glow I've ever had is orange, you know, so it's like, but it doesn't have that mutation. So it's, it's very important to be clear and to understand. And especially as a buyer, I mean, because it's not that sellers are necessarily dishonest. It's that sellers have their own definition for things. And sometimes their definitions come from ignorance. Like they just don't know um, what they have, they don't understand morphs. They're just like, oh, it looks orange, so I'm gonna call it an orange snake. Um, and then sometimes, sometimes it is out of you know trying to get more money by being deceitful. Usually, those are the people, unfortunately, that buyers end up buying from. But I would say, um, if you're a buyer, especially if you're a beginner and don't know what you're looking for or you don't understand morphs make sure that the seller can back up their claims on what something is. You know, I mean, I 
if someone ever questioned whether or not my pewters were a pewter, I could send them a dozen photos from the internet, um, from other reputable breeders of pewters, and they look exactly the same. But if someone says, oh, I have a coral ghost, and it's just gray on gray, um, they can't back up their claim and say that they have a coral ghost, because any photo of a coral ghost is, is pink. You know, it's like gray and pink. It's not gray and gray. So I think that's one of the most important things for buyers to work out for. It's just like, it, like I said, it's not necessarily that people are being deceitful on purpose. It's that either they don't know or they're stuck into the old ways or, I mean, some of them are being deceitful. So it's just, it's just uh, unfortunately, it's a seller's world and the buyers will not have to be cautious because it's so easy for sellers to just send out an animal and say, Oh, no. We lost you, Sarah. Oh, you're hmm? back. We lost you for a second. Oh, oh man. So if you okay. remember your last sentence. <laughs> uh, what, what was the last thing you heard me say? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so it's a seller's world and buyers need to be careful. And it's so easy, especially now with social media, to just, you know, a seller who is being deceitful can just send off an animal and block you, you know, and be like, it's out of my hands now. And what are you going to do about it? Um, which is like, like I said, so unfortunately it is a seller's world and the buyers are the ones that have to be careful. Um, I always, of course, encourage sellers to not be deceitful, but what are you going to do? You know, I mean, it's hard to pick them out. Usually they end up, you know, picking themselves out in a way, but you don't know how much damage they're going to do before that happens. So uh, as a buyer, just make sure that you know what you're getting into. Is all I'm saying. All of that was just to say, be careful. <laughs> well, there's there's a lot of things that are called. I don't know, different thing. That sounds like a stupid statement, but there's a lot of things that are called <laughs> different things. things. <laughs> but like like we we were talking about Miami Ogatees, and I bred it back to my high red reverse Ogatee. And then some people call that second generation when the Miami Okatee goes back to an Okatee, calls it a buckskin or the reverse. I've heard them called high whites, like you mentioned, but I don't, I've heard it both ways. I don't know. I'm just going to say it's a Miami Okatee to an Okatee to a high red Okatee. And now it has red factor in it. So it's all, you're pretty much fucked anyway. It's just, it's going to be a cool looking snake. I think, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you're going to get some nice Okatees. I wouldn't call it like an F1 or an F2. I mean, if it any more, you know, like Okatee in Miami and all this, there's the locality and then there's the phase. And then, you know, the the, the locality is going to look very different, usually a little bit more bland, where the phase is going to be what we've line bred for generations that looks a certain way. And, I mean, the Miami Okatee is just, you know, a snake with, thick borders in a white ground color or a light gray ground color. And then breathing that back to an Okatee, you're probably just going to get more Okatee looking babies, especially with red factor. You're just, you know, so I mean, and like, like you said, I mean, everybody's got their own definitions for stuff, uh, especially when it comes to line breeding. I mean, you got some people who, you know, they will not call something an Okatee unless it is like a direct descendant from Okatee Park. Uh, but then you get people like me who are like, oh, this has big borders. It's an oak tea. 
And that's why differentiating like Okatee phase versus Okatee locality is pretty important, but anymore, you know, nobody, I think that very, that fewer people care about that stuff now than they do. Well, I mean, you'd be hard pressed, I think, for someone to give you a pure locale Okatee and have the information to back it up. Yeah. Yeah. Unless they have a video of them, like catching it in the field. Yeah. That's the only way you're going to know. I mean, I think from what I hear, South Carolina is on to the fact that people collect over there and you obviously can't collect from the Okatee Hunt Club anymore from my understanding. So yeah, I don't think you're supposed to. <laughs> I mean, I see the I see Jasper County corns, which are mm-hmm. essentially the same thing, right? They're very similar. I think that Okatee Park is in Jasper County, so right? I think I'm really. It's funny. Like I wrote this whole book and still have no idea where half the stuff is. <laughs> I even read through it again this morning to refresh my memory, and I'm like, ah, I think it's there's just too much <laughs> stuff to remember at some point. <laughs> Which is why I started writing it down instead of like trying to keep it all in my brain because I have the worst memory. I just, it's short-term memories out the window. Now, where but, do you, I know that you're going to do multiple parts. So where are you going next in this uh, series of books? The next book, which is like 95% done, uh, is going to be on localities and selectively bred traits, hybrids. Um, I feel like there's, oh yeah, het markers is another thing that's going to be in there, like potentially. I mean, like there's a huge disclaimer at the very beginning of the het marker chapter, which is like, het markers do not exist. Why are we talking about this? Because it's talked about. So here you go. Um, like I want people to have the, to, to at least be educated enough to be, to know what a het marker is supposed to be, even though it doesn't like technically exists because like if it's if there's a marker for a hat then it's not a hat i mean it is a hat but if there's a marker for it then it's not recessive right so you know uh, but it's it's focused mostly on selectively bred stuff um you know sun glows and like and like what makes a certain selectively bred great so like what makes a miami a miami well aside from the fact that it's from the area of miami florida uh, you know, the silver or white ground color is essentially what we would say a Miami is and like what makes an Okatee an Okatee. And it goes through the difference between the phases and the localities. And I have a lot of different localities in there, too, that are um, that are not. I mean, they're localities, but not phases. So the phases, in my opinion, are the selective bright versions that we have created where the localities are. You go to Miami, you catch it. This is what it looks like. Um you know, and it's, they're so variable. The localities are so variable. I mean, you can, you can go to Jasper County and you can catch a corn seed that looks like Miami. So, I mean, it, there isn't a whole lot of a reason to include uh, too many localities since we don't really work specifically with localities. We work with phases, but there's a whole chapter on the differences between the two and uh, what makes each one what it is. And then there's also a chapter on um, selectively bred traits in certain um, morphs or mutations. So, you know, like sun glows and um, vanishing stripes and things like that require a mutation to be what they are. So there's a whole uh, chapter on that. 
And then I go through a chapter with a bunch of hybrids. And there's also a chapter on what I think we could see in the future of corn snakes that I think would be really cool. But I mean, it's not, it's obviously very uh, subjective. It's not something that is true. Like what makes a Miami a Miami? It's, it's like, well, I think it'd be cool if we see this. And uh, maybe somebody could start working on that. Maybe I could inspire somebody to work on that because I'm probably not going to work on all the stuff that I mentioned. So, um, but yeah, that's where book number two was going to go. Book number three, I might, my goal is to work on some combination mutations, but it's going to be, it's going to be a beast to take on. Um, the second book, I think pretty much the first book is the only history book I think I'm going to do. Everything else is going to be just facts that aren't necessarily historical facts. I mean, this goes over like, you know, this person found this mutation on this island on this date, and this is who proved it to be recessive or whatever. Um, the second book is just going to be, this is what this is. This is what makes it, this is what makes it what it is. This is how to get it if you want to get it. Um, it's not necessarily a history book. And I, I don't think I could possibly make book number three about the uh, combination mutations, the history book either. I think I'm going to have to make that just like a plain facts book. Because it's, I mean, that's so many, so many combinations. And I don't know how many I'm really going to put in there. Like, it's just sort of a dream that it may or may not become reality on my own. You know, I may have to bring in some help for that one. It's a book that you'd have to publish. Uh, you'd have to put out a new version every year. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Which is what Chuck Brittle was trying to do there for a while, and then he gave up. <laughs> Which is kind of why I, one reason I wrote this book is because there is a void there that people wanted to be filled, um, that Chuck was filling for a long time. You know, this keeping track of all the morphs and who was proving what. Uh, and then he threw in the towel. I, I don't want to say he threw in the towel because honestly, I mean, he got married, he had kids, he has a life, you know, like right. you can't do all this stuff if you have a life, which I don't have, obviously. <laughs> so, um, so it was, you know, I think it was important to, to write it, update something, especially for the base mutations. But uh, I don't, I don't know how the combination mutation book is even going to go. I don't know if it's going to be, Something like Chuck's where you get, you know, a small portion each year of something new, or if it's just going to be, here's what's out there now, you figure it out from here on, because I'm not going to keep track. I don't know. We'll see. Even Life that will be a book of biblical size and proportions. Yeah. With what, over 700 morphs now? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I think many? I got on Ian's Barbarian. Yeah. I think I got on Ian's Viarian the other day and they finally crossed 700 more. That's disgusting. I don't know. <laughs> There's no way in, in the world that I'm going to be able to like actually probably write the whole thing and certainly not the history. Like I'm not going to know who came up with the first striped motley tessera ghost email something. But like I don't know. I'm not going to be able to find that. I don't know who, who made that first. But uh, you know, it may just be a double mutation. Like, it may just be, you know, uh, I don't know how many, what is 30? I don't even know how you calcul calculate that. Like, 30 times 30? Is that how many double mutations there are? There's a lot. I don't, know. I don't know either. There's 30 base mutations. 
And so, at least for now, until some other ones in here like Halo or Peach become proven. Um, yeah, I don't know. But that's a lot of combination mutations. And I don't know. I'm certainly not going to be able to find the history of all of them. Um, but it would be nice to, like, have a book of morphs that at least displays, like, one of each of the major things. The common things, like, probably the uncommon things aren't going to be in there, like Het Tessera Annery, you know, or not Het Tessera, Het Palmetto Annery, which looks like a ghost. Probably that's not going to be in the book, because, like, who cares? I don't know. <laughs> you know I, mean, I mean, it's true, though. Like, who really cares about what uh, Annery Het Tessera, or why do I keep saying Tessera? Het Palmetto looks like. I mean, somebody does. People who are breeding palmettos care about that. They want to know if their anery is hip. But, I mean, are they going for an anery hip palmetto? Or yeah, do they want an anery exactly. palmetto? I mean, it's a stepping yeah. stone for better. Right. Course. And so, it, exactly. So, it's like, at what point do I draw the line of trying to put all these combination morphs in there? And there's some that I'm sure don't even exist. You know, like, I'm trying to think, like, microscale tessera. Probably, I mean, I don't think it exists right now. So I'm not going to put that in the book, <laughs> you know, or at least, I don't know. We'll see. We'll there see. Was, I'm also, I'm, go ahead. There was something that I, I caught a hint of you posting about Sunkist and which uh-huh. is cool. Cause there's something I've seen in Sunkist is that I tend to hatch out like two distinct looks of Sunkist. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but if you do uh, kind of elaborate your thoughts on it. Um, are you talking about the like hypo sunkiss versus like the not really hypo sunkiss? I have ones that come out very wishy washy, and then I have ones that will come out with bold patterning. Yeah, um, I don't know if you know what I mean. Yeah, I think I do. Um, I, I haven't hatched a whole lot of sunkiss myself. I actually hatched my first sunkiss this year, and it was an accident. I didn't even know. Okay, I saw you post a bunch of sunkiss, but. Yeah, um, I'm trying to help out some friends, too. So when they have established babies, they're like, hey, Sarah, can you sell these for me? So I so I do. I mean, you know, it's sort of uh, not, it's not really obvious. But I mean, if somebody asks me, I'm not going to say, yes, I produced this. Absolutely. You know, if somebody says, hey, so I heard you just had your first son kiss this year. What about the one I bought last year? I'd be like, I didn't produce that. I'm sorry. I mean, and people want a snake from me. But it's like they want a snake for me, for me, not for the snake. Does that make sense? Like they want a snake for me because they know that I'm a decent like breeder and raiser and they like they understand that they're gonna get good customer service with me and stuff like that. But it's not I don't think it's necessarily like I must have a baby from a snake that you own, you know. I don't I don't know. If I mean and if it really does like hurt somebody's feelings then I'll I'm sorry. But anyway, Sunkist. Um, Sunkist are weird. A friend of mine, Laura Nicole, uh, on Facebook, uh, she said, if it's broken, it's Sunkist. <laughs> so that's pretty much, I mean, Sunkist is just so variable that it's hard to know. You know, some of them do come out with these really pristine, perfect, beautiful, like crisp patterns. And then the next egg that hatches, it's like, you don't even know what's going on. It's like, there's patterns all over the place and colors don't make sense. And like, you don't even know. 
And it almost makes you question like which one is a fun, are they both, the, are they the same thing? I had that happen in like the first two fun kids that I had this year. There was only two in the same clutch. And one of the first one that came out did have that like perfect, beautiful, just straight up pattern. And the other one, like it just had this weird, like muddy digital look to it. It was super weird. And I don't know, I don't know if there's some, something about that. I don't know if you can line breed Sunkiss for one or the other, but they are really weird. Sunkiss is probably one of the weirdest morphs. And I mean, not to mention what I mentioned earlier is that some Sunkiss hatch out and they just look like normals with funky pattern. Like they don't look like a hypotype. And I always, I was asking this question a little while ago on Facebook, like, is is that some sort of gene that like causes, you know, a sun kiss to look normal or is it just a natural variation? Like it's hard to say that, oh, we have a hypotype, but it's natural variation is to not be a hypotype. <laughs> you know, like that, this just seems very strange, but I've seen it happen before. You know, I've had ultramels that looked like normals. They just were dark, you know? So I don't I know. Did that answer your question? Yeah. 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 I think there's just, but I mean, Ultramel makes more sense to me that there's going to be more variation because of, uh, obvious hybridization, but I mean, I don't want to open that on Sunkist, but I mean, we could talk right. about that elsewhere. <laughs> so well, and Sunkist, yeah. I believe Kathy loves, uh, Story. I mean, I don't think was it a pet store animal though. Is that what the no? She she went and caught um, some some okatees from Okatee Park, and uh, or I think she said Jasper County, which I'm I'm not sure if she specifically got them from Okatee Park, but um, she got them from Jasper County, and she had been line breeding them for a long time, and she said that all you know all of a sudden like she just started getting these weird hypos, and she thought that they were just hypomelanistic but it turns out that they were not you know they were a different strain they were sunkissed and along with sunkissed also came stargazer which is why most people test their sunkissed for stargazer um but it's mostly been bred out now i don't know of a lot of people who have had a sunkissed and ended up testing positive for stargazer like some people purposely produce stargazers so that they can test their animals or other people can test their animals for it but aside from those those lines of stargazer, I don't think that and it just it doesn't pop up very often, is what I'm saying anymore. I don't know how common it was before, but right, and that was thought to be its own recessive gene that kind of latched on, correct? Yeah, yeah. When she uh, she said that when she she started proving it out, she proved, of course, that stargazer was separate because. You know, you, as she said in the interview, um, something like, well, you know, obviously even you have stargazers that aren't sunkissed and sunkissed that aren't stargazers. So after some test breeding, she proved that it, it by itself was just a recessive gene that happened to spawn in her Okatee collection around the same time as sunkissed did. Um, but I think that the original stargazers were all sunkissed. I think that was sort of, I don't, I don't think that there, there weren't too many original um stargazers that were just okatees i think that they were mostly sun kissed and then she sort of split it out after that 
Yeah. So, I mean, obviously so. when you're, when you have a recessive, then obviously you end up breeding a lot of siblings or a lot of things that are related or since obviously you're trying to get the visuals. So that makes sense. But I mean, and people ask me if mine are star stargazer line tested. And it's like, I don't know. I, I breed honey to honey, which are both sun kissed and I haven't seen any symptoms of anything in two generations. So what does that tell you? I mean, I would think that that means yeah. that they're stargazer free, just judging by my odds. But yeah, at least, at least one of the parents is probably stargazer free. Um, I need to test my sire's mind um, because the sire to mine was also the sire to, to the dam of mine. So um, he, I mean, I, it was a father-daughter breeding. So he brought a son kiss into my collection. So he's the one that I've got to test. I really don't want to. I keep trying to find his breeder, but I cannot find who produced him. I can't. I can't find it. Um, which, I mean, most people can't. Oh, wow. so where I got the snake... I work there and it's a very small, like locally owned place. And so I figured somebody might remember the name of. Oh, hi. Hi. The chair. No, no, sorry. I didn't set up the chair. <laughs> I know. I don't know where it is. I was in a hurry. Wow. All right. We'll see you later. Cool. Thanks. <laughs> um, but yeah, so oh, I don't even know what I was going to say. Something about Stargazer and so you something. Oh, yours is on. It's it's not likely that there is. I mean, you could probably ask who you bought them from. Normally, they know. Like all the sun kids that I have for sale right now came from a friend of mine, and he had their grandparents tested, and they tested negative. So I at least know that they're Stargazer free. So like Stargazer can be an in any morph, I uh, I bought a wholesale lot of ultra mills when I was first starting. Um, I don't know, ten almost ten years ago, and um, one of them in there was a stargazer, and so I I had to do something because they were all siblings, and so I ended up um, selling them to friends as pets and told them that there was a possibility that they had this problem and that they shouldn't be bred. And to my knowledge, I mean, I tried to keep them all close to home, people that I contact somewhat frequently. And to my knowledge so far, and like I said, it's been almost 10 years, um, none of them have tried to breed them. So that's that's what's important. But, um, some, you know, Stargazer can be in a hat in any gene. It doesn't just have to be. Uh, sun kiss. It's just more common in sun kiss, or at least it used to be more common in sun kiss. And I guess now we can move into the Tessera. So, oh, yeah. Um, the Basically, if you'll, if anyone reads your book, you have the story of the Tessera in there, right? It was, uh, it was basically... See, okay. Melissa was the one who was supposed to make things work, not sign us off. But we're well, back. I don't know. 
But where were you before we disappeared? I was saying, why, yes, I have the book with the Tessera <laughs> information right here. So um, I, I like to give people the benefit of it out. I like to believe them when they speak to me. I like to uh, believe that they are honorable people and that they wouldn't lie to the general public to make money. Um, so I assume uh, on, on the surface that, okay, I genuinely believe that the original professors were not hybrids. I genuinely believe, or at least that the breeder or producer or whatever believed wholeheartedly that they weren't. Um, so in that respect, I believe the original Tesseras, I believe the story, 100%. Uh, I do think, however, now, since Tessera looked so similar to the Cal King Newport scene, that I, I think that a lot of potentially not so honest hybrid breeders out there have started to produce these Cal King corn hybrids with the Newport gene and actually sell them as pure corns which are Tessera. So I I do believe the original story. I also believe that a lot of them today are probably hybrids. And it's just because of the look. That's it. It's just because um, the pattern is passed on in a very similar way. I wouldn't, I don't even think it's the same way. I think from what I understand, Tessera is, um, Tessera is, incomplete dominant and I don't remember. I, I think Newport, I mean they're both a form of dominant, but one of them can have a super form and the other one can't or something like that. I've uh, heard uh, I've heard mixed things. That's why it's so confusing. And wouldn't it be if it was truly dominant, would it be they would all come out Tessera? Or how does that truly work? Not necessarily. Um I haven't bred California Kings enough to really talk about that portion of it uh, with a whole lot of confidence. But from what I understand, I don't think that Newport can be homozygous. I'm not sure. I'm not. Oh, I just I know that they're both they're both a form of they're both a form of dominant gene, but one of them. The tessera, I, I think, is more of what we would consider a normal dominant gene, and it has a super form. But for some reason, in my brain, like I thought that Newport didn't have a homozygous form, but that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense either. Because I feel like any genes have a homozygous form. So I'm not sure. I don't know if Newport maybe looks different in a homozygous form than a heterozygous form. Tessera doesn't. Tessera, I mean, people have tried to find little tiny things about a homozygous tessera that's different than a It's so minuscule that it, it doesn't, you know, no one's going to notice. It's like this little stripe by the eye is slightly thinner than it would be on a normal tessera. No one's going to notice that. So, I mean, I've I also seen all different variances in things like belly pattern and pattern in general in tesseras yeah. to begin with. Yeah, and everybody says, that when they breed a tessera to something else, the non-tessera babies from that clutch all have a very strange color to them. They all have like an extra layer of color. That's what I've heard many people say. Um, an extra layer of color. Whatever, and, whatever that means. I don't. Yeah, I know. And I actually uh, produced my first tessera to non-tessera clutch this year as well. 
And um, the Tessera that came out looks like a regular old whatever Tessera. But the non-Tessera that came out was so weird looking. And I actually just sold him. Um, but I have pictures of him. And he's, he's really colorful. And he almost has this weird, like, sunset looking pattern. Like, not pattern, but like, the top of his ground color is sort of like tan, like you'd expect a normal ground color to be. But as you move down, it's it's like yellow. Like it keeps getting yellower. And it, it is. It's a very strange, very strange look. And so, and of course, people say, well, that, that doesn't pass on, you know, beyond that generation. So if you breed two Tessera siblings together that have this weird look, it doesn't necessarily pass on to their offspring. But that almost, in my opinion, seems like even more evidence of possible hybridization and not less evidence. I mean, they're like, oh, well, it doesn't stay, it doesn't stick around into the next generation. I'm like, yeah, but if it was a thing, that was a corn snake thing, it probably would pass on at least to some of the offspring. But since it doesn't, it almost makes it seem like there's something else going on. I don't know. I mean, I wasn't there, but I don't. I don't want to uh, throw anybody under the bus or put fingers or, you know, make people um, think that all Tessera are hybrids. Because the honest answer is we don't know. Uh, but there's a lot of evidence if you're looking for hybrid evidence to the uh, hybrid theory or the hybrid theory hypothesis, I guess. Um, I like the official a, name now, the hybrid theory. Yeah, <laughs> the hybrid theory. So serious. I try to be very, yeah, I try to be really precise with my words so that people don't misconstrue what I say. Uh, sometimes I fail, especially when there's enough alcohol involved. But um, uh, yeah, so the belly patterns, in my opinion, are probably the, the biggest uh, evidence for hybridization, like possibly, because I mean, like there is no other corn snake morph that has such a varying belly pattern. There, I mean, there just isn't. Like, there's no mutation. Like, you know, and you're gonna have your your odd ones out once in a while. Like, I've had smutleys that had belly checkers here and there. Same with stripes. And you know, I mean, you're you're gonna have that, but it's not. It's so much more common in Tesserus. And it's from what I've heard from some people um you know the original tesseras had they were their patterns were so crisp and so clean it's just a pause we've done this a couple times she always it, comes back you said the patterns were so crisp and so clean in the first generation of tesseras it's a clean thing they were, I don't know why that glitches out like that, but uh, they were, they were so crisp and so clean, but the furthest, the further we went away from the original trio, the less, like, clean the pattern seems to be, um, you know, I mean, I, I, it's hard, you're hard pressed to find a tessera that has such a nice, clean pattern anymore, and I, you know, it's just, it's hard, it's hard to say, you know, like, it doesn't matter how much you breed stripes, unless you're, like, trying to breed for, you know, uh, vanishing or a cube or whatever. 
like a stripe looks like a stripe. And sometimes you're going to get these weird little things like a cube. Um, but most of the time, a stripe looks like a stripe. But like when tesseras stop looking like tesseras, then what do we really have? And I've seen a lot of tesseras that don't even look like tesseras. They almost just, their, their pattern is just all over the place. The point of, like, you don't even know what morphs they are. So, so that I think, leads you to believe it's a hybrid because it's coming out with such different. I, I think I think that that is uh, evidence that could support the hybrid hypothesis of separate. I think that the belly pattern is a big one because I mean, no corn snake has a completely black belly, but you know, does have a completely black belly? King snakes, California king snakes, and so it's like. And, you know, I've seen Newport, uh, Newport Jungles, which is the cross, the, you know, the first, the first cross between a corn and a king, cow cage, and they have completely black bellies. And so, like, and I, I've had second generations, I've had a few that you couldn't tell the difference between them and corn snakes. Like, you, you couldn't tell. I mean, maybe the, the color had a little bit more saturation, but that could be easily explained away from red factor or some other gene like that. Um, I just, I, I don't necessarily, like I said, I don't think that the original tesseras were hybrids, but I think a lot of the tesseras in the hobby now could very well be hybrids because I think that hybrid breeders have sort of taken, uh, have taken the liberty of making new tesseras out of the, uh, Cal King cross. I mean, I'm and sure... Cal- <laughs> In the beginning, there was economic um, upside to doing that. But I feel that, I don't know, there's just too many signals that could get crossed with a fauna classified ad or king snake ad, whatever it is, that I I think the original was a miscommunication and not purposefully sold as as a pure corn. But, I mean, maybe um, from what I heard, I mean, it wasn't necessarily like it was a large corn snake breeder who had who posted the first one up for sale. I don't know if you heard something different, but I had heard that it was just kind of your run of the mill ad from a random person. And therefore, I think it's easy that someone would get a jungle corn and then say, oh, yeah, I have these corn snakes and then say corn snakes for sale. And then someone's like, oh, shit, this person's an idiot. This is something new and buy them and then turn it into Tessera. I don't know what you heard as far as like the origin of the origin of the tessera and that ad and who posted that ad i don't know can they find them are they dead are they still alive (laughs) i don't know who posted the original ad someone does but i don't Uh, and there's there's a reason that no one knows which is just more potential evidence to the hybrid hypothesis collusion Um, like who was this person and russia here's the thing Here's the thing, Russia. <laughs> Always blame Russia. Hashtag blame Russia. Um, here's the thing that gets me about that whole that whole tester thing. Why would Don Soderberg want one? Why? Why? I mean, Don, the king of corn snakes, wants like he wanted a a stripe. Like, I don't understand why he would want it. I don't understand why anyone would think to give it to him. The, 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 the story is so-and-so wanted to purchase this, this random trio of corn snakes off his ad, 
that they couldn't actually receive it, so these other people received it. And then they found out that it was two males and a female, and then they just thought that Don Soderbergh might actually like to have the other male, and so gave it to him. Um, and in some of the books, some of the books, some of the names are in here. Uh, probably not. Gonna... Yeah, okay, so 2007, Graham Criglow asked KJ LaRue, I don't know how to pronounce that last name, the Order 1.2 trio of striped motleys that were advertised on a popular online classified site. This is a quote from Don Soderbergh, by the way. This is not something that I wrote. This is Don, like, putting this on his website. Uh, when they arrived, KJ discovered that the constituted 2.1 reverse trio, two males and one female, instead of the average 1.2, one male, two females. Okay, and Casey recommended that Graham get the extra male to me, and that's what Graham did. So, I don't understand why anyone would think, hey, the king of porn snakes might want this motley that we found online. Unless it was something <laughs> different. Unless they knew that something else was going on. And just the way that the whole thing went down, it seems very shady. Um, I don't know anything about Graham Criglow. I've never spoken to him. I think he was on Facebook for a little while. And he came on... Um, a, he was on a, a, a Tesserae discussion about hybrid and, you know, about it essentially being hybrid. And he swore up and down that this wasn't a hybrid and everybody needs to stop saying this stuff. But at the end of the day, if he bought it from some random dude on the internet, how does he even know, you know? Um, and no one, no one is really revealing who the seller was or who the real original producer was. So, like, like you said, it could be, even if somebody just, you know, went to a pet store down the road and got two corn snakes, or three, I guess, corn snakes, thought they were a trio, and then decided they couldn't keep them anymore, so sold them online. Um, Who would have you know, three it, of those of a new morph randomly, a maybe group of three. three? Yeah, but... Maybe it was just the one they gave Don. Did someone... But did that person prove them out then and make three of them? That's a weird number to have. From, and From what I understand, the female was too young to breed when the original person sold them. And then they got the original Tessera and they bred her too early and she died young. That's, that's, and that's just sort of a background story. Um, but they bred her before she really should have been bred. And then she ended up passing away because... She never recovered from egg laying. Um, but since it was a dominant gene, it didn't matter a whole lot because, you know, the males could go, you know, breed to five females in a season each. So, you know, no one really talks about, you know, the seedy underbelly of these things. But um, Do you I don't think, think the original. And he's just not fully saying? I believe that Don believes that they are not hybrid. That's what I can say. I believe that Don believes that they are not hybrids. Do I believe that Don knows they are not hybrids? I don't think anyone knows. Right. The definition the I... <laughs> to... But there's no way of He's saying. He's the closest to the original source we can get. Pretty much, uh, as far as I know. I mean, as, as a philosophy major, I don't know if you understand my church, but as someone who majored in philosophy... The definition of knowledge is a justified true belief, which essentially means that you can't know something 
unless it has been proven to be true and that you believe it and it's justified in reality. And since we can't go back in time and figure any of this out, we can't know anything. We can't justify anything. We can believe whatever we want, but you know, I could believe the sky is green and that doesn't mean that it's right. It just means, it doesn't mean that I know that. It's not knowledge, it's just a belief. So I believe that Don believes <laughs> that they are true. They are true, like pure eggs, corn. Uh, I believe that no one knows except the original producer of said snakes. And we don't know who that is. Okay. So, um, but I also believe that a lot of the Hesseras now are hybrids because of the hybrid breeders taking advantage of the look of Tessera versus Newport. And I've seen a few uh, a few unfortunate people who have hatched some very very king snake looking tesseras lately, and not even tesseras. Just like a, a friend of mine uh, bred two tesseras together, and one of them is literally black and white and banded, like it looks almost exactly like, like yeah. It looks like almost exactly 50-50 with a little bit of a little bit of yellow in there, but it, that just makes it look like a banana cow king, you know. I mean, and, and I think that we know as corn snake breeders, getting white in a corn snake is pretty much impossible, especially white and black is something that we haven't been able to achieve in like 40 years of captive breeding. So. Right? Yeah, we get we get close with like the dark gray, like the red coat amory kind of stuff. Excuse me, but we don't. We don't get that like black on white or especially black on yellow, which these babies that I saw from this person's clutch were black with like a white with just a tinge of yellow ground color. And I'm like, and especially like a lot of the babies in that clutch had these really weird head stamps that like were super small and kind of misshapen and they look a lot like, I mean, I've owned Cali Kings. I haven't bred them because I ended up hating them with a fiery passion that brings me within my soul. But I owned them. They eat they eat everything. They'll eat me, they'll eat my cat, they'll eat whatever in the part of them. I just don't like them. But um I've seen what they look like. I know what their head types look like. I know what their body type is. I know what their head shape is. I know what colors they have. And so when I look at a corn snake that has all of those aspects, but they just look a little bit more corn I'm like, you look like a, you look like a jungle. Like you don't look like just like a tesser or a corn snake. And so it's just uh, like I said, it's not necessarily that hybrids or tesseras are hybrids. It's that I think that there are a lot of hybrids out there that are being uh, sold as tessera. And now I guess the question is, does it really matter? Because we're all just breeding for cool looking snakes anyway. Yeah. That's- that's a whole other thing. I I personally have no problem with hybrids as long as people are honest about it, um, which it seems like a lot of people aren't being honest about it. But as long as people are honest about it, I don't care. I, I'm like, breathe what you want, sell what you want. Um, try not to endanger your own animals or anyone else's. Like, and you know, think- I sorry, keep going. Good. No, I really didn't have anything else to say. Do you think they're not being honest because? Because so many people have a view against higher, like, why not just say, like, 
this is a hybrid. You know, I feel like so many people, hybrids, there are hybrid breeders if that's their thing. I don't get, I don't get the secret of the reason. And in a way, there are a lot of people who like the look of hybrids. Right. So and don't... so why not be honest? I don't, you know, they're not hiding all the other hybrid stuff they're making. So why are they hiding this one thing? That's what I don't understand. I have never bred hybrids, so I'm not sure. I consider myself to generally be an honest person, so I'm also not sure what could be going through their head. But I would say that a lot of it is just trying to make money, I guess. I mean, but can't you make money a lot of people, selling it as a hybrid? I don't know. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people out there who, like, hybrid breeders usually sell their hybrids as pets. Because unless they're selling to another hybrid breeder, um, those animals aren't going to a home that's where they're going to be bred. And I think that that they know that and so they can really only sell a limited number of them uh, to breeders because there's not a whole lot of hybrid breeders right. who are going to want them. And so if you have a gene that you can integrate into a different species that's very popular and People buy them as pets and breeders and show stakes and whatever market, else. Right. Yeah, it, it, it increases their market substantially. Uh, and it makes it makes it easier to sell. And it's also, I think, I think it's this weird little like, you know, when you're kids and you're keeping a secret from mom and dad and that's how it's just this fun little thing. Like, well, we all know that this is what they think, but you'll never know. You know, and so it's not only that it's that it's making them more money to call them corn snakes because the corn snake market is so much larger, I think, than most other markets, the hybrid market especially, uh, hybrid colubrid market especially. Um, but it's also this like this little it's like little thing that they can say, we know more than you, but we're not going to tell you that we know more because then our reputation is gone. So, yeah, I don't know. I think it's maybe a mixture of that. But of course, None of this, it could be that none of this is true. We are all, we're making this entire thing up and everything was pure from the beginning. And, you know, um, and like I said, I, I don't know what the motivation would be other than increasing your market, increasing, you know, uh, people that you're going to sell to. Um, and, you know, especially since that's where they're for a while with selling for such a higher price than like the Newport Calking. You know, I mean, I guess money could be a big factor in that, at least in the beginning it was. I mean, now you can find a tester for 50 bucks, you know, but five years ago, they were 500 bucks, you know, so it could be that back then people kind of caught on and they created their hybrids and sold them. And now here we are with like some that are hybrids and some that might not be, and I don't know. That's so weird. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. Well. Let's talk, I guess, more in the vein of what we... For changing subjects, and I can ask my question. Okay, go for it. Yeah. Also, what do you mean in the vein? That was also a weird... I don't know. Keep on going. Reference. Girl with I've it. I've never heard that in the vein. Um, okay. This it's is, a thing. Uh, just offhand question. Do you feel like ball python morts are less oh, no. or more confusing than corn snake morts? I think they're less uh... I feel like corn snakes are the most confusing. Like, because they've been being bred I for too long. I didn't think that till like 
recently. But like recently, I just feel like I think I know something and then I'm so confused. And I, I feel like it has to be worse than ball pythons. But I don't know a whole lot about ball pythons. Uh, I know of a few different genes that I know which which ones of the ones that I know of are recessive, which ones are dominant, which ones are instantly dominant. But honestly, like, I would have to get into learning those more before I could really say either way. I would think that they would be more difficult because of the, like, the same problem that we're having in corn snakes with Buck and Buffy. You get two, like, dominant or incomplete dominant genes that look almost exactly the same. You can't hardly test them against each other. And there's so many more dominant and incomplete dominant mutations in ball pythons than there are in corn snakes, I feel like that aspect of it might make it more confusing. But on the other hand, I feel like ball python works are often labeled a little more straightforward. I agree. You know, um, I, I feel like it's like it's a cinnamon because it looks like cinnamon <laughs> where we have a terrazzo. What the heck is that? We don't know. You know, it's like, we don't know what that is. So in the in the naming respect, I do think that uh, probably ball python marks are a little easier. But as far as like being a breeder, I I can't imagine that. I can't like I understand very few, and like I understand how they work, but I couldn't look at something and be like, oh, well, that's a clown spider fire something something. Like I don't know what that is. Right. No idea. I feel I like. It's my question. Okay. Um, but your, your statement's probably smarter than mine. But I feel like ball python morphs do get do get crazy in their naming also because there's you know the like what the fuck is inchy and like yeah, right? all those know. other you know spider clown whatever they get weird. But with corns, I just feel like there's too many things that are so similar and that like yeah. I just feel like it's changed like. I don't know, like, oh, wait, no, that's not a red factor. It's, oh, it's now this factor, but then it's, okay. like... Okay, well, this, that's why I wanted to like, say what I was okay. going to say, is that corn snakes are very polymorphic, or they're very variable in different phases, whether it's from New Jersey to the Keys. There's Ooh. animals that look the different and the same all throughout that whole range. Ball pythons are pretty much always black and brown in the wild. There's not much difference from locale to locale, anything like that. So when there's a mutation or a train, there's just a, yeah, yeah, a train. Yes, I live right by a train track. It's like right outside my door. So like a mutation is pretty much always a mutation. Or like Sarah was talking about before, like we have morphs or things that are line bred or what she considered, I guess, a cultivar is what you said. But um, just basically something that we've bred out for a certain look. And I don't feel ball pythons are pretty much mostly just mutations on mutations. And that's what makes it so – because what is it? Isn't Sunkiss just a line bred thing? No. That's Sunglow. Sunglow is just a line. Right. Yep. That's a whole other thing. I'm like, why did you – how do you have – like we have Sunkiss, Sunrise, Sunglow, and Tequila Sunrise. And they're all different things. Why are we doing this to ourselves? I don't know. <laughs> like Sunkiss, okay, fine. Sunkiss was one of the first mutations with the word sun in it. But then we had sun glow. I'm like, why do we have sun glow? You want to know why we have sun glow? We have sun glow because there were sun glow, either ball pythons or um, red tail boas. And they're like, oh, this kind of looks like the 
that morph of that snake. So we'll just call it the same thing. Why? 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 There's so many other things. Oh, I thought they both came from Kathy. Sun Glow, I think, actually originated in Don's collection. I think. Because um, he had his line of Sun Glows, which basically were just emails with no white. But lately, people have been saying, oh no, they, they also have to have red factor or red coat or both. And See, like, that's like, ugh. <laughs> I know. In, I have a sun glow red that... thing to just be a really pretty version of what the mutation is. Like, once we start adding all these other names, it just loses. Yeah, that's... Like, I, I have a sun glow tessera that. Yeah. I wouldn't consider sun glow in the way of it being low white, but it's very red. And I think it was labeled sun glow tessera because it was very red instead of the fact that it was lacking white. So I think it's actually a red factor. Yeah, Amel tessera. Probably, yeah, it probably should be like if it has any white on the top, it's not a sun glow. Like that's sort yeah. of, yeah, that's Especially sort of like the in basic. tessera form. It should be totally gone at that point. Yeah. Yeah, it is very strange. And that's that's a good point with ball pythons versus corn snakes because there's really no locality of ball pythons. But there's like, what, five or six like sort of main locality slash phases of corn snakes. You should name So, them. I mean, obviously there's, well, I mean, there's Miami and OPP and Keys. Those are the three that have like distinct looks and are all very different looking from each other. And then, of course, there's Alabama, which doesn't, it isn't that special looking to me. I don't even know. I, I don't. Um, and that that's going to be in my second book. All of these are going to be covered in books. And some people even like your more northern species that are pretty much brown looking. And like what? What is it called? I don't, I've seen the, the Kentucky ones, like what Ryan was oh, talking yeah. about who we had on um, a lot of ones that are very brown base color or like things like the Alabama seem to be a little bit more reddish, but obviously the Miami and the Okatee being the, the big ones. Yeah. And keys to me is another big one just because it's so different looking and so different um, looking that yeah. it was considered a separate subspecies at one point. Right. Or is it still? Yeah. No, not anymore. It used to be considered, um, what is it? But that's this was back before Pamperopis. This was it was Alepe rosica or something. Alepe gatata rosica, I think, is what the species name used to be, or like the subspecies name. But they are genetically like the same, you know. I mean, they're not any different. And I have a feeling that the Slowinski's corn snakes, Slowinskii, is going to be integrated. I mean, I already have I have a pair of Slowinski corn hybrids. That I got from a friend of mine, um, and people are trying to produce like silver queen corn snakes, uh, not silver queen. What is that? Silver, silver leaf. leaf, silver leaf corn snakes. Um, and I'm like, they're not going to be corn snakes. Like, I don't know. It's that same weird like hybrid thing. Like, what really makes a hybrid anyway? You know? I mean, we have all these um, MRI crosses, these Great Plains crosses, but. Great Plains rats weren't even considered a uh, different species until like the mid 1990s. So it's like, at what? I mean, what are we doing? You know why? Why? Like, what's? What is a hybrid? I don't. I don't know anymore. 
to me, I like I I feel that Emery's are very different in like head structure, more bulldogish. As I like, I don't know, I like to keep things Ours separate. But then again, I have some morphs that are you know I have ultra stuff, in. so I would be a hypocrite in that sense. But yeah, well, and there's also but everyone can have their tech- own fun. There's no technical proof either that ultras are hybrids. But the person who produced them originally didn't keep any track of what he was breeding. He just threw things together and whatever produced, produced. And he's like, oh, this is different. It also kind of looks like a corn snake. And then it turned out to be its own gene. And they're like, we don't know where it came from. Could have come from this hybrid over here. Could have come from this pure thing over here. Could have been wild caught. We don't know. So, like, generally speaking, people say that it's a hybrid because I mean, people tend to not be super wishy-washy unless there's weird stuff going on, you know? So, like, well, we still don't know. And there are some people that say, absolutely, it's a hybrid. Like, there's no question. Like, look at the frosting and look at the variability. And then there's some people who say, no, I've bred this for, you know, two decades now, and it acts like a normal corn snake morph. So, I mean, I don't know. But, yeah, I, uh, it's, I agree that MRI or they they look different, and I think Slowinski look different too. I think Slowinski look more like MRI than they do corns almost, but they're almost Slowinski kind of look like a root beer. They look like they look like the cross. Like the cr- I feel yeah. yeah, they look like yeah. a grade of both. So maybe that's all it is. I don't know. I mean, I think that's what they thought it was for a while because those those areas kind of overlap as far as because they're in like uh east texas and louisiana so to where you may have some emery okay. and corn snakes crossing in the wild potentially so that's yeah um, i don't know <laughs> yeah and like the mississippi corn snake is also very brown and looks very slowinski ish so i mean the further west you go for corn snakes the more Slowinski-ish looking they look. And then so, they eventually I mean, turn into Emery's. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Emery, sorry. That's Emery, not Slowinski. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's not up to us for dis- to decide. But I think as long as you... I mean, call things what they are. But you had mentioned a little bit before of like... Um, where things are going or at least where you want things to go corn snake wise and um oh yeah like in book number two i i just sort of came up with a lot of different ideas that people could aim for with corn snakes and um you know because i think that there's there's a, there's a lot of potential with selective breeding that we haven't really tapped into um i mean kathy love mentioned in the interview that i transcribed for this book that a, a hypermelanistic corn is possible without a gene mutation. Uh, it's possible to continually bred the darker, like the darker and darker corn snakes, and after a few generations, you're going to have a very dark hypermelanistic corn. Um, you know, you don't have to have. And of course, I still think that the the hypermelanistic gene chocolate from MRI is probably going to show up in a corn snake collection somewhere. 
What would be the, so that breeding anneries? What? Just breeding the darker anneries over and over? Well, what I thought was interesting is that there's also a line, I know Sunshine Serpents has a line of Okatee, anery Okatees that are so extreme Okatee that they're black and gray, which I thought was really cool. That is really cool. Yeah. And I mean, it wouldn't have to necessarily be anneries um, to make a hypermelanistic. Uh, because if you look at wild corns, they have a melanin distribution sort of over the whole top of their body. It almost looks like someone dumped a thin layer of like dark oil on them. They're just darker. And we've bred that out of our collections because we like the bright colored corn snakes. Um, but if you went the other way and you kept breeding darker and darker and darker babies instead of lighter and lighter ones, you'd end up with like a red you know like a dark brick red corn snake with like this dark dark gray background um so it would technically be hyper melanistic but you know i mean i mean it wouldn't be a gene like chocolate which is i i think hyper melanistic uh in mri but it would still be dark like that and that's something that i think we could do but someone has to have to have the patience to do it and i'm not sure uh, if anybody anymore like has the patience to really selectively breed anything, um, you know, at first, back when Kathy Love was starting, her work was starting, like that's pretty much all there was with selective breeding. Like all you had were the wild cuts that if you happened to get a gene mutation, you were lucky. Now there's so many different genes. People are like, I could wait three years to get this brand new morph that I want, or I could breed over the next decade and a half to maybe possibly get what I want or maybe not. So like I highly doubt that most people are going to be aiming for a hypermelanistic corn or um one that I thought would be cool was like a false motley, which I kind of hatched one that looked like that. Like it looked exactly like a motley, but it wasn't a motley. On the top it had like the little spots that went all the way down. But on the belly it was fully checkered and there was no motley in either of the parents. It was just an aberration. But you know, it's like Aztec or anything else like that, where you have these pattern operations that pop up and you can do something with them. You can selectively breed them and, and hone them and make them what you want. Um, and, you know, I think that there's a lot of different things that might come up, like um, more borderless corn snakes. Like the only borderless corn snakes you really see are sun gloves. And that's the AML version. And once in a while, you see like a mask or an anery. But I think it would be really cool to have, you know, a line of borderless corn snakes. But I think that using keys to get there would be a good idea. And utilizing things like Miami to make that light ground color. That's how we came up with candy cane um, and high whites. Like making high white okatees was a combination of, um, you know, just reverse okatees and Miami. Like if you combine that light ground color with the thick borders, you get a high white reverse okatee. And so there's just stuff like that. Of course, I don't have a copy of book two in front of me because it's not published yet. But um, there was just stuff like that. I was sitting there brainstorming with what could we do with what we have. And uh, I think there's not, a, there's not a whole lot of frosted corn anymore. Uh, I feel like they used to be more common. And when I say frosted, I don't mean the hybrid frosted, which is what they think that ultra originally came from. Um, Andy Barr called his um, his 
corn gray rat hybrids, frosted corn. But I mean, like, with the white saddles, like the white, um, you know, I, I still call it frosting, like it makes it more clear. But like white in the saddles, that sort of washes the saddles out a little bit. And I think that it'd be really cool to see more frosted corns, especially with Miami, because you get that light ground color, and then you have these weird like saddle borders, and then white on the inside of the saddles. Like I think that'd be super cool. Um, yeah, I was just brainstorming one day and sat down and packed a bunch of things. It was really cool, and I don't remember what most of them are now. But something that really like opened my eyes in that respect is Walter's um, sunk kiss Miami's. So obviously it's just a Miami and a sunk kiss. Like these aren't far out things that you need to scour however, and they're not hard to make, but it makes an animal that's just crazy. So you take a, an amazing Miami, put it into all these different kinds of genetic mutations that we've just been breeding, you know, our normal corn snakes, quote unquote to, I mean, you can even just get different looks from the localities. And I mean, it would obviously, it obviously mixes everything together and makes it wishy washy as far as locale people go. I mean, I'm sure locality people hate that kind of stuff. But I mean, if you're looking to make the coolest looking corn snake, I think that might be a decent way to do it, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, I really, I like the idea of the Miami Okadines. Everybody's like, oh, well, that's buckskin. I'm like, no, it's not buckskin. It's it's like you have the light ground color of the Miami with the really thick borders. I think that looks really cool. And um, I really like, you know, like Miami with caramel, especially if you add stripes, it gets this weird, like green color to it. Um, and I think Steve Roy Lance is the one, Roy Lance. I've never really done that. I always said Roy Lance, but I think Roy Lance, correct. Uh, but he produces those um, green striped caramels a lot. And it's just the striped caramel with Miami lineage um, that caused that sort of light gray ground color. But when it mixes with that yellow, then it becomes this weird green hue. And I think that's that's really cool. I think we could do a lot more with especially Miami as a locality. Because Miami changes the colors. You're not just the thickness of the borders or, you know, like changes the belly pattern like um, Keys does. And Keys has its place, but Keys doesn't, it just doesn't look as cool as Miami would mix with stuff, in my opinion, you know. Um, I can't, you know, I mean, I can only imagine, like, um, where Walters are mixed with, um, isn't his Amory Sunkiss Miamis? Is that what they are? And they have a like, white ground color, and they're like, they're gray everywhere else, but they have like these bright yellow blotches on them. And those are super cool. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think there's a lot of potential if people really put their mind to it to, to breed whatever they wanted, you know? I mean, like, the um, the green caramel stripes are the closest thing to green that we have. And the dilute mollies are the closest thing, or, like, the dilute uh, anneries are the closest thing to blue that we have. But it'd be super cool if somebody came up with, like, a better way to get to those colors. Yeah, I think I it's hard because it's like you talk about the green that they're putting into caramel with Miami. And that's something that I see in honeys, but I'm trying to get it out of it. So, like, I'm trying to go the opposite way. Or you're talking about things with um, I'm trying to get bold pattern honeys when a lot of mine are coming out with 
almost no pattern. For whatever reason, the caramel and Sunkist takes away any borders. So I've been trying to put it back into it. But uh, so, yeah, it's funny because you can go in total opposite directions with all this stuff. Yeah, I really I really like the idea of more borderless stuff being out there. I know I mentioned that already. But um, my one of my head scalists, my male, came from uh, Don Soderberg, and uh, he has almost no borders. And I didn't really realize that at first because he kind of has like this dark hue where the borders would be, but there is no like black on his scales. And like I think it'd be really, I think there's a lot of things that you could do with that. And I know that sounds like the opposite of what everybody wants because you want to add, you want to add more borders to your honeys i just i think it'd be really cool if there were some morphs that didn't have any borders at all and i've heard that that's how you make um vanishing stripes is if you have borderless and you braid stripe into it but i don't know if that's true or not i wouldn't know but um <laughs> I wouldn't know either. <laughs> but it's like um what was i gonna say about the sun kiss or whatever i don't know but um what I think an important thing is that people go their own direction and have their own projects. And it's like something that obviously you have with Halo and we don't have much of our own because we're too new in the, the generations of what we're breeding. But I think it's important that everyone has their own place and it's cool, like uh, putting stuff out there and through social media and stuff like that. Obviously, you're a pretty small breeder as far as size goes, just like we are. And I mean, you can really get pretty far with just a few snakes. And like your Halo project is obviously huge, even though it's just you, but you focused a lot on it. So where are you going with um, this year of Halos? And you were like frosted Halos and all that. And I had to ask you like, what the hell is that? But uh, kind of explain where, where you're going with that project this year. Um, well, this season is over for me as far as breeding goes, but I'm holding back a lot from the frosted line um, because I don't know. That's that's what I like. Like I I really like that white and yellow snake because uh, you just like you don't see that. You know, like you kind of see it with butters, but usually butters have more color than that. Like I really like like I hatched one female. And I didn't even, like, I wasn't even going to keep her, but I ended up keeping her. And she grew up to have just, like, I mean, I think that she was the one that you took for the picture the last time that I did an interview with you guys, where she's just yellow with white. Like, that's it. She's, like, yellow stripes, white everywhere else. And I really like that look. But I also really like the look of the opposite of that, which is, like, the yellow borders, but, like, bright pink saddle. And that's kind of what my original mail looked like. And so I'm not really sure where I am going to take the project. This year, though, I was focusing on the frosted stuff. And I just bought a frosted hail uh, female from a friend of mine. And so she'll be kind of part of that project next year. Um, I don't know, you know. I mean, I I never really intended for this to be a project. It's kind of funny. That's kind of how everything has worked out for me. Like, this book was not intended to be published it was originally just you know for my group on facebook and then just for me for personal reference and then people wanted to buy it and so i 
published it and sold it. Um, and it's the same thing with Halo. I just, you know, I just bred what I liked. I liked the way it looked. And so that's what I did. And people, other people liked it. And then Don came to me and he's like, hey, it'd be really cool if somebody someday decided to find out if that's actually communication. And I was like, I am on that. I will do that. And uh, I think that I've proven it to be a mutation. I think that it's at least dominant. Um, I mean, I like I have as, as much proof as anybody, but um, it's definitely not related to Carmel. I think I talked about this. Um, I don't know if anybody's read my forum post, but uh, I posted on the cornsnakes.com forum uh, about Halo cornsnakes, and it just goes through like the entire breeding history of everything that I've done on it. And um, so I think that if you look at the evidence, I've at least proven it to be dominance. But um, I don't know, like, I, I don't, I guess my intentions are to just keep it going. But other than that, I don't have a whole lot of like plans for it, except for the frosted, the frosted halos, because I just like the way they look. And I've got somebody who I sold a pair to, and, and he wants to put it into his coral snow lines, which is fine. Um, in my opinion, like most halos are already in coral lines, though. Like what I like is separating it out. Uh, I like the fact that now I have halos that aren't corals. Like I want to say probably, I don't know, 60 to 75% of the coral snows I've seen also have the yellow borders. And sometimes those yellow borders are yellow blotches. Like the, the whole saddle is yellow. And, um, I, I think that might be the homozygous version of Halo is those yellow blotches and then like the heterozygous version is just the borders. But I, I don't know that for sure. I at least think though that Halo is dominant. But like, I mean, I, I really like the genes kind of being as pure as possible um, and not having the coral attached to it. And that's the same like issue that I have with, uh, I don't want to say issue, but with like specter corns they've always had red factor. And I'd love to see a spectre corn that doesn't have red factor. And um, Bartley corn snakes, or I don't know if it's Bartley corn snakes, but Bartley snakes had a line of ghosts that looked exactly like spectre, only they didn't have the pink. And I really think that, you know, like I really love those selectively red types of things like that, that don't have, you know, an additional gene like red factor or, whatever else attached to them well no one wants to go backwards that's the issue with the something like a specter no one wants to breed it back to a wild type get eggs and then prove out what's actually in it because like yeah you'd have to make some normals het for things and i mean people don't want to step backwards that's the thing they just want to add more and more to it and it just kind of gets more convoluted and confusing of what the ingredients actually are yeah, and that's part of what made Red Factor and Coral and Hypo and like all those things so confusing in the beginning. Because people had these really cool looking things, but nobody wanted to prove it out. Nobody wanted to spend the time to actually get a wild caught, bring it to a wild caught, get these guys together, figure out what's going on. And that's why it's so confusing now. Um, and I mean, I. It, you know, I don't know what the future is for specter corns because, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to have one, but it definitely seems like they're continuing with the coral line. Like they keep breeding it in with corals and coral snows and 
And I'm like, I don't know why you're doing this. Like, just spend some time figuring out what genes are there. And I mean, with Halo, I, I never intended to produce the first one. That was, it was my very first clutch. And I just read a caramel motley to an AML and I got this snow and decided to keep it. And there it was. And then I created a second strain of them, um, also on accident by breeding a frosted snow to a uh, gold dust motley. And then I had these halo snows, which is one reason why I originally thought that it was just the caramel. Um, because, you know, I had a caramel motley in one clutch and then a gold dust motley in the other clutch. And I thought, well, it's just caramel adding this extra yellow. But then I see Don Soderberg posting these like um, these highway emails that have these thick yellow borders and he's breeding them together and no butters are coming out. And I'm like, that means that it isn't caramel that's causing. If it was caramel, we'd be getting butters and things like that out of halo to halo breeding and we're not getting that. So that's when I decided I bought a wild-caught female. Well, she wasn't wild-caught. Um, her mom was wild-caught, and her dad was a snow that was just a regular old run-of-the-mill, didn't have any extra color on it, snow, um, not a halo. And, um, and so I bought one of – I bought a daughter from that pairing and raised her up and bred her to my halo. And sure enough, I got halos, and some of them were not halos. But, like, at least two out of the clutch were, and then at least three or four out of the clutch were not. So that means that, like, it has to be dominant, right? I mean, that's sort of the answer. It's not recessive. I bred two snakes that had produced halos but were not physically halo together and didn't get any halo. So it's not recessive, probably. <laughs> um, either way, it is something. and. I guess I just, I'm just producing it because I like it and I wanted to, I didn't even really care if I proved it out. Like I just kind of did it. I was like, well, I have these snakes and I guess I'll breed them together to find out what's in them. And here we are. <laughs> like, I, I think that I'm uh, a lot less than people think I am. Like they think that I'm this, you know, super wise, superhuman snake breeding goddess of some kind and i'm just a human who is like snakes and thinks that yellow is pretty that's about it <laughs> i think it's important though that people are hopefully going forward pay more attention to details as far as you know someone at least the the people who produce so many corn snakes that i mean it's hard to even look at the animals for so long to pick out things like red factor or like that halo animal i think it's easy to brush over things or you get all snows so you wholesale them pretty much before they're even eating and you're not yeah. actually looking at the animals individually and saying like what's going on with this what's going on with that yeah and with halo especially with any kind of yellow except for like you know caramel and duck and toffee and stuff like that um Nobody, and I mean, Steve, Steve Roylance bought a pair of Halos from me. Roylance, sorry, I think he's missing out there today, Steve. Um, he bought a pair of Halos from me when, like, the female was a yearling and the male was a halfling. He raised them up, and he bred them, and he just wholesaled the babies to me now. I'm just like, hey, how are the babies looking? He's like, they look like snows. 
instead of like give them like three sheds and... out which ones are halo and what yeah i mean give them three sheds that may not look like regular snows but yeah yeah and i mean i got 12 from him this year and a good half of them ended up being halo and which is reasonable because if it is an incomplete dominant gene then that makes sense and then some of them haven't gotten color at all some of them are just your normal run-of-the-mill snow and then some of them uh, are actually green blotch which is why i think the green blotch might be the homozygous version of halo um and him and halo is the heterozygous version because you know i mean it's that's kind of what you see with anything like that uh, like palmetto you know i mean if you breed two hat palmettos they look like hypos but you know, half the babies are going to look like them, and then a part are going to look like normals, and then a part are going to be palmettos, like, you know, visual palmetto. And that's sort of what I'm seeing with these, like, halo-to-halo breedings. I have another halo-to-halo breeding this year, and I'm raising up those babies now, and they're pain in the butt because they won't eat. But um, already I'm seeing um, at least, I want to say, about half are turning out to be halo. And then there's a few that definitely don't have any excess yellow. And there's a few that I'm kind of waiting to see if they turn into green blotch, but it kind of looks like they will. So, I mean, right now I have at least three. Well, actually, it'd be I, I have personally like had three clutches, if you include Steve that he wholesales to me, that um, have this pretty even distribution of half halos, half nothing, half green blotch, or half half halos, a quarter nothing, a quarter green blotch. Um, and then a friend of mine, Jessica Kimball on Facebook, she bred what I believe to be a halo blizzard with what I also believe to be a halo amel. Neither of them had very thick borders, so it's kind of hard to tell. But she produced halo babies and green blotch babies from that clutch. And so I think that that's at least four clutches that I can say, okay, halo to halo produce exactly what I would expect. A, an incomplete dominant relationship like genes do does that make sense so <laughs> I obviously anery should erase the yellow so obviously if you have snows if you have amels you must have produced aneries just by proxy somewhere down the line have you seen any aneries from those clutches yeah I mean I had Actually, the clutch where I bred the F2 female from the snow to the wild caught and my um, my original halo male, uh, when I bred those, you know, together, I got some anneries out of that, but uh, melanin masks the halo. So you don't know if, like, anything, like, there's only been one snake that I've had, and I've seen a few others, they were hypotypes, that you could see the halo when they were right about six months old, because that's just before the melanin takes over, you know, so much you can't see the yellow anymore, but it's just enough of the development of the yellow that it kind of peeks through. Um, and it almost looks like an, like an ore color, like a gold ore, you know what I'm talking about? Like if you see gold, uh, you know, if you go find gold, it's not perfect pretty gold, it's like just dirty gold. And that's kind of what it looks like uh, on those borders of, of a hypotype. And I've seen it in some lavas. I've seen it in ultramels. I've seen it in strawberries. 
I've never seen it in any other hypotype, I don't think, though. Um, that was just, you know, just the hypotype by itself without the AML or whatever. And that's only when they're real young because they haven't developed that excess melanin yet. So that um, but once that months. melanin... Say what? That happens at six months in Alcorns? Not, well, give or take. Uh, I mean, like, it takes it takes at least three months for Halo to show up in a corn snake. Unless you really know what you're looking for, you might be able to get it at, like, one month to six weeks. You might be able to see it if you look real hard. Um, but seeing, like, the, that, that window, especially, like, in hypotypes, that window of Halo comes in, but melanin also comes in and covers up the halo. Um, there's just a very small window there where you can actually see it in hypotypes. Um, and I had an ultramelanery that uh, it was sort of, I guess I want to say an okatee ultramelanery from a halo breeding. And for like for like a month in there, she was about four or five months old. I noticed that she had like this yellow undertone to her borders but then like a shed or two later more melanin had come in and i couldn't see the yellow anymore so and i think that's kind of how it works with any hypotype that's actually a halo you got to get it in that tiny little window where they're like about six months old or you don't know so and i do mean you advertise that you know like it's do you got so i don't as a halo when it's only seen for a month no, I usually tell people that it's from Halo lines or had Halo parents or whatever. And uh, I take pretty detailed pictures of all my babies. Um, and so I, you know, if anybody wants one, a hypotype that is from an AML clutch, like an ultramel, I can say, all right, well, here's what it looked like at four and a half months old. Here's the yellow. You can see it. It's there. But after this one shed, you couldn't see it anymore. And I usually don't sell them for any more money um, because you can't see it. And most people aren't breeding for that anyway. And most people who are breeding for it, like who want it, they want to be able to see it. And so it's sort of like, why have a gene that you can't see, you know? Um, and so like, unless people are breeding Halo Snows or Halo Amos or Halo Blizzards or a Halo Peppermint, all of which I've seen, like, unless you have that amelanistic trait that takes away all the melanin and lets that yellow shine through, people don't care if you have, if they have a halo, it's halo in it or not. Yeah. And so I will advertise it from being halo lines um, or as being from halo lines. And sometimes I'll sell it for like maybe five, ten bucks more. But sometimes I don't. Sometimes it's just an annery, you know, like. Annery had snow. That's it. Same price as any other annery. Even you know? though it came from the same parents. Yeah. Even though it came from a halo parent. And I usually will tell people that it came from a halo parent. A lot of people think that halo is a hybrid gene as well. Because uh, if you've ever seen a snow MRI, they also have those yellow borders. And it's really common in MRI. But, I mean, I've seen... Oh, yeah. If you look up snow MRIs, they have they almost always have those yellow borders but 
I see it, you know, we, we have coral snows with these yellow borders that go back decades. So like, if it's a hybrid gene, it's still, an, it's still been in corn snakes so long that it doesn't matter, you know? I mean, to me, it's, it's especially with MRI, like, you're like going scaleless, back to when know? there was no difference from where we didn't know any difference. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if, if the halo came over, from MRI, it had to be back before it was considered a different species. It's been in the hobby for so long in coral snows that, you know, and once again, how much does it matter if you read? The snakes, the snakes don't know they're hybrids. They don't care. They just smell pheromones and get their business on. So how much does it really matter? Yeah, I think <laughs> I think it's cool, though, that obviously you're going for a certain look and it's a different... Um, I don't know how to explain it, but it is kind of a different kind of yellow than you get from other pairings. And then as well, I mean, I love when the coral or the red factors mixed in with the halo and you get that like crazy, ridiculous bubblegum and halo look um, that obviously you're not going for, but other people are. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's a unique project. It's like almost making something that we all took for granted forever, which was like your regular run-of-the-mill snows, or people would get pissed when they turned yellow or something like that, like when someone got a snow and then it was very yellow. But you're actually flipping it on Yeah, I get that and... all the time. Yeah, I get that all the time. People are like, I want a snake that's going to be pure white when it's older. And I always tell people when they say that, I say, get an opal. I know it's pink now, but if you just get an opal, make sure you get a picture of the parents because if the parents were overly pink, you're going to end up with a pink snake instead of a white snake. But like with AMLs, uh, with like blizzards and snows, like if you if you want to guarantee you don't get those yellow borders, like you need to get something that doesn't allow any yellow. That's going to be a lavender. It's something with lavender. I don't care if it's like a lavender blizzard or something like. The only email type I've ever seen, so the only email type that I haven't seen Halo, yeah, is a lavender type. Because lavender is really weird, but like people who want white snakes, I'm like, you're, you, you don't have any guarantees unless you make sure that neither parents were red factor, so make sure you get pictures of parents, and unless you get a lavender type that's not going to allow any of that yellow to come through. But then, and I mean, the lavender type's not necessarily going to be white correct and opal opals are white when they're adults and they don't look white as babies they look like they're like a pink and a peach color um but if you if you get an opal especially like an opal stripe or something it will just be pure white when it's older like they won't have any color you may in a in a certain light be able to see just a little hint of pink but, I mean, just as we can't get a pure black corn snake, we almost can't get a pure white corn snake either. And that's the closest way, the best way to guarantee you have a white snake is if you get an opal that did not have red factor parents. It seems... If you get a blizzard... For whatever what? reason, the closer you get to white, as far as rat snakes go, whether it's... I mean, the palmetto, the Texas rat snakes, leucism in rat snakes tends to really mess up their eyes. So, I know, but... <laughs> but do you feel like opals have really weird eyes? No, no. I think that's like a, that's like a weird back they don't alley have way that to get white, makes, though. 
you know, we got to stack so many, we got to stack jeans in it in order to get that white. It's not like a base morph. You guys are cutting out really bad. I can't see you again. Uh-uh. Oh, no. But do you feel like palmettos are a bit, they're not a base morph white either. No, no, I, never mind. <laughs> it was what I'm saying is you got to work a lot harder than you would think, pretty much, to get, to a, get white, a white snake. To get a white corn snake. Or... You don't think you can? So there's, you can't line breed snows to make that yellow go away. Is what you're saying you would have to ask Sarah. Not that I know. I mean, yeah, ask Sarah. I mean, you you kind of could. It depends on the yellow. I mean, the halo yellow. If it is a dominant gene, it's easy to breed up. You just breed it. To uh, a snow that doesn't have yellow in its saddles, and then you pick out the babies that don't have yellow, and there you go. You, you know, you don't have halo anymore. Um, but there's also the parasite yellow, if you know what it's called, and it's what comes in along the peaks and the sides and sometimes in the saddles if it's uh, heavily saturated. And you can breed that out. A lot of people like to try to do um, like red coat, since red coat doesn't actually make things red. It just like folds up. It makes the colors fold. But very few red coats have a lot of yellow. Uh, if you see red coat, it, it seems like red coat anneries are like black and white, or black and dark gray, or light gray. You know, I mean, they're not. Um, they don't have that yellow along the side of their teeth, like most, like anneries can have. I guess I don't want to say most can, like anneries can have. So I mean. You could try to breed a red coat into snows to reduce that yellow. Um, and you can line breed them to not produce the yellow in their deep sides too. The issue with any yellow on a corn snake, though, is it doesn't develop for a while. So to get the babies you want, you have to hold all the babies. Mm. Let's say you get 15 babies out of three different clutches. That are- you know, so you have 45 babies or however many you gotta hold all of those racks for at least six months to see what kind of yellows are coming in and pick the ones that have the least amount of yellow sell the rest off hold the ones that have the least the least amount of yellow back for another six months until they're about a year old so it's never gonna happen, like, basically <laughs> like, it could happen it would just take a lot of time and yeah. holding back a lot of babies they would just go um, the opal route rather well, than line break the snows for that pretty much it would be easier to do that blizzards are also more safe than snows if you don't want to get yellow because charcoal usually prevents a lot of yellow coming in but charcoal is not going to prevent halo so if you have a charcoal carriage that has any any yellow in its saddle borders at all it's it's possible that you will get a halo charcoal that's just so i mean you just you got it like Make sure that you know what the parents look like if you can, if you're trying to get a pure white snake. Like, it's just, it is hard to get anything just one color in corn snakes, especially. And you can try with, like, vanishing stripes. That's the closest thing that I've come to, like, a solid colored snake. Is they had a vanishing stripe red coat annery. And she was, like, almost completely black. But she was still actually only, like, dark gray. And you can still kind of see some of her patterns. Do you it's have just, pictures of that? Very uh, I you know, it was a very long time ago. I have pictures somewhere on this laptop. This laptop that I'm on right now is pretty new, and um, I haven't sorted all all the pictures out. I just sort of transferred them from one place to another and popped them in there. So I'm not sure where everything is, but I could try to find the photo eventually. Probably not now because I don't know. I don't want to. Yeah. But 
I'm just trying to get black and white ish anneries. And um I obviously posted one. Red not. coat. But yeah, red adding red coat Miami. Those are gonna be the big Well, that's kind of I don't know if you saw but I I saw the Tigastava like an idiot. You but, guys are slowing down again. I can't see you. But but basically, I made one, and now it's already kind of um, it already got a little bit of brown in it after like the second shed, and then like damn. damn, it still looks amazing, but it's but still, it's not as black. It's a little deeper gray and a little bit more of like a maroony brown than a than a black. But uh, so. Yeah. I Especially think it will, males, males do that. it will go the way of uh, a really, really, really nice, as good as we can get for now, but I want to keep but on we, reading I that I loved out. how it looked when it first came out. Like It was such crazy black and light gray, and we're just we're not... And of course, it came out like a barren pattern randomly, which was cool, but, but basically... Yeah, just keep reading that into Miami. Yeah. Yeah, well, just that's going to... Try Miami and... Go ahead. That's I'm gonna keep on breeding that stuff. Yeah, that will be a thing that I'm holding back quite a few things, and then the other things are going to people who I know will probably end up when they breed. I get first pick after they pick, so the project will be within a group of people who we're gonna make it happen. Basically, that'll be awesome. Yeah, yeah, that'll be really cool. So, is there anything else that you wanted to get out there? Because we are at two hours. Is there anything you wanted to get out there as far as uh, when your next book's going to be out and all that good stuff? Or um, where they're available now, where the current book is available? Um, this book, mm, Corn Snake Cultivar Compilation Volume 1. I don't even know if you can read it or not. Um, it is the history of the mutations. And the, it's exactly what the title says, the histories of keeping corn snakes and all the basic mutations. And uh, you can buy it either from me at Sarah Snake Shop, facebook.com slash Sarah Snake Shop, periods between Sarah Snake Shop. And, or you can go on eBay and buy it, which will still be directly from me. Pretty soon you'll be able to contact Sean Neeland, I think, of EMS Herps. Uh, he will be carrying some copies of my book pretty soon. Um, he's not carrying them yet, but he will be. Um, my breeding season is almost over. Snakes are flying off the shelf. I cannot keep snakes in stock. Um, but you are welcome to continually ask me uh, at Sarah Snake Shop um, or on Facebook at Sarah Snake Shop if I do have anything available. I try to always have something. So, I guess that's it. That's me. Oh, the next book. The next book is almost done. Um, I am waiting on comments from anyone who reads it, uh, comments, questions, anything needs to be cleared up, corrected, changed, um, added, etc. Um, and I will probably release it next year. I don't want to bombard people with too many books at once. <laughs> but um, it's going to be Corn Snake Cultivar Compilation Volume 2, Effects of Selective Breeding is what it will be called. And I've already made the cover for it. It's red with an email and a big Sweet. I will be, yeah, look forward to that. What? 
Were you gonna ask the question? No, now, we to, to you. now we have to. Now we have to. I could that have not it. added it or asked it. Now you brought it up. Now okay. we have to ask it. So they Feel wanted. Free. They wanted to change the question, but I don't know if we I'm are. We've been asking people the question thing. We're asking people what their favorite pizza topping was. But now they want to change it, which I'm so okay the with weirdest food it. that you've ever but, eaten. Okay, yeah. What is the strangest oh. food you've ever eaten? Oh man. <laughs> Um, somewhere between pig brain and cow balls is probably the weirdest thing I've ever eaten. Okay, so yeah, you're pretty up there on <laughs> eating weird things. I think probably pig brain is weirder than cow balls, but they're both pretty weird. Is that like an Indiana delicacy of sorts? I, I, I feel like I eat it at a dim sum restaurant. We found out it was like cow balls. Like, Yeah, they're called Rocky Mountain Oysters is what they're called officially cow balls are and i was hesitant but i you know yolo might as well try it once it's not gonna kill you pig brain is the weirdest thing it was per my brother's request because he's a weirdo and so we all had pig brain me and my whole family it was it it had the exact consistency that you'd expect it to was it like yep it was slightly gelatinous yep Yep, it was uh, it was very light and gelatinous, and it also had a grainy texture a little bit. I don't recommend it. <laughs> yeah, that actually sounds worse than the cow balls. It's disgusting. Oh yeah, cow balls tasted much better, but it's still weird. Um, I have eaten snake. I've eaten python. I've had uh, alligator, which is super weird. I've had um, eel, which also is super weird. I've had shark. Which I'm not sure how weird that is. I don't know. My family's an adventurous family. It's not an Indiana thing. It's a it's a more family thing. We try to try everything, I guess. Well, I guess you were the right person. Um, but to my ask. favorite my favorite pizza topping is is just, you know, pineapple. Goat balls. Oh no, she's a pineapple. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> See, that's why I, I don't know. See, I, I'm not even really a pizza person, so like it doesn't really matter what's on it. As long as there's no mushrooms, I'm good. Like, I don't know. Mind. That's fair. I think your question, the answer to the first question was good enough. Yes. To suffice for the whole pineapple situation. But whatever. <laughs> it makes up for it. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, <laughs> you said yeah. people can contact you for your book at Sarah Sink Shop. Obviously, <laughs> and contact you if they just want to talk to you. And then, what's the name of the group? that you run on Facebook? The, the ID group. Oh, uh, Corn Snake Morph ID Health is the group that I'm the administrator of. And um, we, we do exactly that. We help people with people's uh, with their corn snake morphs. I have um, over 100 collages of different morphs that show from baby to adult eyes, belly, photos, and also give a brief description of what the morph does and looks like. So uh, if you have a questionable morph, you're not sure what it is, you can get on there and you can look at the collages and um, hopefully identify your morph. And if you still can't, you can always make a post with photos and ask everybody in the group. I comment on almost everything unless the answers are already there. and Awesome. And then as far as we go, PortCityPythons.com, PortCityPythons on Instagram, PortCityPythons YouTube, all that good stuff. We have some animals available. 
ball pythons, corn snakes, and all that good stuff. T-shirts available. Um, that's pretty much it. Yes. Okay. Thank we you. will see you next week with someone we shall not name because when we name, things go wrong. Things didn't go terribly wrong, <laughs> but we are on a Tuesday, not a Monday this week. So the curse still continues in my yeah, book. So don't say it. That, that's pretty much my fault. No, it's <laughs> no, like, oh, no. It's, it's, it's just the curse. If <laughs> we had it, we were in. We were at a wedding all weekend, and we were not even gonna make it anyway. Basically, to our own <laughs> podcast. So it really it worked out perfectly. Yeah, it's we perfectly were fine. Yeah. Okay. Next week. Except nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. No sure. I don't know. Good. Whatever. Okay. I I I lift the curse from you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sarah, so much for coming on. And we will talk to you guys okay. next week.